Welcome back, everybody. You're looking, listening to Secret Truths, Conspiracies Exposed. I'm your co-host, Scott Pat, along with Mark Willison. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Scott. How about yourself? Excellent. We're going to be revisiting 9-11 and the World Trade Centers because Mark watched a, a National Geographic special on the World Trade Center and 9-11 and what happened. And that sparked me to watch an older one, I think. <laughs> and then it led to some interesting uh, essays that were written and that we want to share. And I guess the, really the purpose of this whole thing, and, and I think we can all, I think we agree, I don't know that uh, you necessarily listening to this will agree, and definitely I know that the government of the United States would probably disagree, but there's <laughs> still a lot of questions and there's a lot of things that haven't been answered. and. This gives rise to conspiracy theories and and all sorts of other interesting things. And and regardless, it just starts creating a whole web of interesting coincidences and connections and things that make you go, huh, I wonder. And uh, and we kind of go from there. So I think Mark, we should start off with you. Just uh, you know, tell us a little bit about the National Geographic uh, special that you watched. Well, basically, this uh, the special was called Inside 9/11, and it was basically a uh, an account, you know, kind of like they put it together as, as a story, you know, telling you the story of what happened on uh, on the day of 9/11. And it was a fascinating, you know, way that they put it together because they interviewed all these people that that had survived the the incident, and so they had. Um, you know, lots of people that were act- at the scene of the, you know, the World Trade Center attacks, and you know, firemen and and police officers, and just uh, people that had been a survivor that actually survived coming. You know, I can't remember how many floors he fell, but uh, you know, he oh, actually wow. survived. He, he survived, yeah, falling, free falling, uh, dozens of stories, and somehow the the particular enclosure, the way that it, you know, the way that it fell down around him, created a little pocket where he survived and. So it was really, it was just really uh, emotional and impactful to to watch the stories and and then especially the flight 93 um, that had the you know where the where the passengers supposedly took over and attacked the hijackers. That was like you know watching the stories of of the of the two wives uh, widows that you know where their where their husbands died and that in that crash was just like man it made you know made me really. You know, try and imagine what it would be like to have been on that flight and been going through all of that, knowing that two other planes have already crashed into the World Trade Center. And like, what are we gonna do? We know that we got this plane that's hijacked, and they say that they have a bomb. And you know, you're looking around at other people on the plane, and they're, what do you do? And so apparently, they got together, and a few of the bigger guys decided to bum rush all the uh, the, the terrorists that were hijacking the plane, and and uh, somehow that. That caused enough of a disturbance to bring the bring the whole plane down and crash the plane, as opposed to, you know, allowing them to complete their mission of flying it into some building. So it was just it was just like wow, man, it really got me. I hadn't thought about it in a long time. Here it is, 2010. You know, it's been nine years, almost nine years, and it's just like wow, it was like like experiencing the whole thing all over again. Wow. Huh. So it well, got me to dig, you know, I started digging around on the internet again and looking up some things, and you know, because the the video, 
it was a really well put together video. I really liked the way that they did it, uh, but it didn't obviously address every every single issue during the uh, the time that it had. So I started poking around a little bit, and I was like, man, I've still got still got some burning issues that I have not, you know, don't have a satisfactory answer for. And but I thought, well, this would be uh, this would be great for you know, great to get your your thoughts and your feedback on some of this stuff. See what you think. Well, you know, I, I was just thinking about as you were describing what was happening on that flight. Yeah, and obviously, I don't have any idea what happened, right? Any more than anybody right. else, I wasn't there. But I was on a flight. To, actually, just got back from New York. I was in uh, New York a couple weekends ago. Had a great time. The people were absolutely amazing that I met and. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. I wanted to actually get to the World Trade Centers and uh, see what was left and everything else. But unfortunately, the weekend I was there, there were 70-mile-an-hour winds and pouring rain. And, and uh, I was there for a specific uh, reason. So I, couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't get away. And, and the day that I could get away, it was just too too miserable uh, so I spent the day gotcha. in, the, in the Metropolitan Museum of Fine Arts instead and just had an amazing time and but you know I'm thinking about you know if I'm on a plane and there are hijackers and the you know there had been hijackers before so I'm pretty sure they've reinforced the doors but I mean even if they hadn't how would I crash the plane Right. I mean, aside from breaking into the cockpit and fighting with whoever is captaining and flying the plane and causing something to either stop, like the engines, or you know, go into a nosedive. Right. There's, you know, how would you how would you break in to the cockpit? Now, if you're if you got to fight through, you know, two or three guys with guns or knives. Uh, Protecting the door. It's, it's, I mean, because I mean, it's like there's nothing for me to swing. There's nothing for me to, I mean, except my fist, right? And, right. You know, so I'm, you know, I'm really curious because we keep hearing, oh yeah, like these, and, and hey, I, I'm not, I don't want to take anything away from, you know, if if the story is true and these guys crashed the plane and they saved it from crashing into another building somewhere, then absolutely they are heroes. But I'm really curious as to how that would be possible to do, and uh, and I'm just I mean it's only just come up I've never thought about this before you brought it up but I mean I'm in a, this plane and you know first of all there's you know I got to get up the narrow aisle so hijackers see me coming a mile away right sure and, absolutely you know even if there's like five or six or ten of us. Uh, I can only go one at a time, right? It's kind of like the 300 Spartan soldiers that, that stopped the huge Turkish army because they had to come through this little pass, right? There's just not exactly, you know. And so even if you, you know, even if we overpower those guys, what do we use to break in to the cockpit? Yeah, I don't know. That's good. Uh so I mean, it's, it's a question. It's, it's definitely something you know, something you don't think about every day. Is what would you do in that kind of a situation? And man, it's a, uh, it's definitely uh, definitely takes your breath away to think about it. Even yeah, yeah, it is. And 
it's an interesting it's an interesting question for us and and all I want to know is is you know how and if some air marshal says well this is what you would do great I mean they may all want to because I'm sure they don't want any future hijackers knowing how to break in or anything else but uh, you know I have never heard anybody even the conspiracy theorists you know the one there's some that say well it didn't really crash it did this did that and all these other things but I'm thinking like how would how would it happen if you know if it did and and that to me is is just all part of asking these questions right it's not about trying to you know uh, slander somebody or take someone who, you know who did an amazing thing and and uh, and cast doubt on it or anything like that but I'm just it's just kind of curious another thing is um, you had mentioned I think before we went on the air these people were talking on their cell phones right and at right. the at the level that um, typically these planes fly at, there's no cell phone reception. In fact, there was uh, one of the major airlines, I forget which one, I was just reading about it, recently had a cell phone tower placed in the, on the plane and did a test. Really? And people on the plane then could call with their cell phones and talk to people as they were doing it. And they were all excited. Now, if this was something that was... Uh, you know, just like, you know, normally you have poor cell phone, right, uh, reception up there, uh, you know, that sure. it wouldn't have been such a, an, an amazing thing. But I know one person actually did, a, got into planes and did, a, and did a study and basically said you had a point zero six chance of making a cell phone call from uh, the height that this plane was supposed to be at, which then says like, okay, who were the people making these calls? And why did they sound like their husbands and and loved ones? I mean, so we're, right. and it just and this whole thing just ends up in the whole realm of science fiction, right? Sure, people, absolutely. People recording you, the voice changing software, and and all the rest of it, right? But again, right. when you look at some of the transcripts, they're um, they're strange, right? Like one of the transcripts that I read yesterday, and I don't think I have the page up to read it verbatim but basically you know a guy called his wife or his mom it was his mom and three times in the conversation said you believe me don't you mom <laughs> like weird uh. yeah oh and he introduced himself as like how many times have you called your mom and said hey mom it's mark willison here <laughs> you know Never. so he he called and said hey mom and it said his whole full name right so and then, and then, as he's telling about what's going on, it's like, you do believe me, right? You do believe me, right? You believe me? Well, you know, I'm watching TV. I'm seeing what's happening on CNN. I, you know, I'm not saying anything that sounds like I, you're joking with me, right? Right. <laughs> you know, and I mean, and if you were on a plane, I don't, and it was, you know, hijacked and everything else, and you were talking to your mom, I don't think you'd be asking her if she believed you or not. You'd be like. Tell you know my sister I love her and my mom I love her and my dad I love her and you know Aunt Judy that I love her <laughs> and I hope to see you soon but if I don't you know you'd be I don't I mean I don't know. I'm just talking about what I would do not necessarily you know I don't know but certainly wouldn't be saying you believe me don't you Yeah that's really weird It'd be the last <laughs> so so one of the issues that came up oh, so 
the, when you told me you watched the National Geographic, I went and I rented a, a DVD from the National Geographic that was what I thought you were watching, but it wasn't. It was gotcha. Another, <laughs> it was a different one. And mine was, uh, it was called uh, National Geographic 9-11 Science and Conspiracy. And, gotcha. and, and I think it's interesting, like here, because I think when it comes down to what we're talking about, the secret truth, is we're really talking about questioning things. And, and the emperor has no clothes. And, and, and saying that the emperor has no clothes when he doesn't. And, and it's interesting to me when, when I watched this particular episode and then I listened to you talk about the one you watched, that because my father has been a subscriber to the National Geographic uh, magazine for longer than I've been alive, so over 50 years, right? Okay. I've always had the magazine and I haven't always read it, but I've often flipped through it. And uh, as I've grown older, I've paid more attention to it, and I've read it and everything else. And typically, it has articles that are about amazing natural formations, about ecosystems, about tribes in obscure places, about um, uh, uh, cities in... Uh, southern countries. Uh, sometimes they do uh, articles about, like, say, like New York or like an aspect of LA or, you know, Boise, Idaho or, you know, some Taktiaktak in the Arctic Circle. You know, so, <laughs> you know, so, but rarely has it been anything of a, uh, of a political nature. And I could be totally wrong because I, I'm, like, I haven't. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination on the National Geographic, but it tends to focus on geographical type things and, sure. and, and some history, right? Absolutely. Uh, and, and when I say history, it's usually like 200 million year old history, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, fossils <laughs> and stuff. So I was actually really amazed when you first told me about this uh, show on the National Geographic, by the National Geographic, because it struck me as very unusual that they would even be talking about it right now that it might be well this was just such a big event they couldn't ignore it and, and we can make all sorts of arguments for and against whether it's in their mandate or not in their mandate I just thought it was strange based on my perception of the National Geographic so when yeah, I want would you agree or disagree oh yeah I, I would say you know like the impression that I got of it was was that they they almost used the National Geographic logo and name as credit to give it credibility? Mm-hmm. I think is is the because I didn't feel like it was really a you know the answer all the questions kind of thing. It was just like a story to it was like more of a you know watching like a movie. You know, it's designed to have a you know have an emotional response from the audience. And I think this was was very similar in trying to get people to, to relive the event and think about how tragic it was and, and kind of re-inspire people for the whole war on terror kind of kind of thing maybe or something. And, and it just seemed like they, you know, I, I thought the exact same thing when I saw that it was on National Geographic Channel. I'm just like, man, I cannot believe I'm watching this on National Geographic Channel right now. Because it's just, uh, 
it didn't really fit with what National Geographic usually is mm-hmm. all about. You're right. Okay, good. And when I watched, yeah, I definitely, yeah. when I watched the episode that I watched, which is different than the one you watched, they what they did is they had people um, try to recreate on a small scale different aspects of what happened on a large scale on on uh, the World Trade Center. And they had three okay. what they called truthers. These were people conspiracy theorists and they called them I guess it was nine eleven truth or something, they called them truthers. And it was just it was very subtle in my in some maybe it wasn't subtle, I'm just saying that. Uh, but in some ways because the um, you know, when they when she said truthers, it, there wasn't a sneer, but you could kind of feel a sneer, you know, and sure, these absolutely. truthers. And so they would they would have do these different experiments that would show that that uh, you know what what they thought would happen. Uh, you know, the, the official story was right, and the truthers were wrong. And of course, then they'd ask the truthers, and the truthers would say, "Well, this isn't even this isn't even relevant to what happened in in our opinion, right?" And and I don't know what the whole conversation was because we only saw the final edited version, and but at the end it was like no matter what we've shown, uh, these truthers aren't uh, you know even though we've shown without beyond a shadow of a doubt that this, the official story is true, uh, these truthers don't believe it sort of thing and and it just right. <laughs> you know and I was like this is like subtle propaganda right they're showing what happened <laughs> they're showing this they're showing what the the uh, Unbelievers are saying, and then we're showing this experiment that proves that what we, you know, what the official uh, story was 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 true. And I was just like, wow, just really uh, surprising that you know the National Geographic was being used in this in this way because there's a lot of different you know ways that you could have had a balanced discussion, right? And, sure, and I'll give absolutely. you I'll give you an example like the plane that hit the Pentagon, okay. Okay. All right. So some people say that it couldn't have been a plane because there's just this round hole and there's no wings. Okay. So let me ask you a question. If you had okay. a seven Boeing 747 and it ran into a building, do you think? Well, just look at the World Trade Center. Do you think you would notice where the wings impacted? It would seem pretty obvious to me, actually. Yeah, I, sure. think, I think so too. Now, the Pentagon, of course, is not an ordinary building. I mean, it's triple reinforced titanium, extra strong steel, cement. <laughs> you know, I don't know what right, it is, right. but we know that you know if that's like the center of the U.S. military, it's going to be really well protected. So exactly. So here's the thing, and again, it's like if it was easy to disprove, why wouldn't you disprove it, right? And so exactly. if if a plane hit and all you see is the round like the the body part that went through, right? Sure. I mean and and on the 911 uh, the the one that I saw which was uh, called science and conspiracy, they actually I had people creating computer models proving that this is the way it happened, right? Sure. Sure. And uh, you know, so I mean, all I know is you can program a computer to show you whatever you want, right? But these guys seem particularly <laughs> proud of it. So, having said all of that, if you had a concrete reinforced wall that the wings could not go through, okay, they just get sheared off, 
right. would it make a scratch? Well, absolutely, and it would seem to me that it, you know, if the wings get sheared off, that they'd be sitting right there on the outside, right? Oh yeah, that's a good point too. I forgot about that. So, you know, so all you got, so let's pretend that the the wings got sheared off and they disintegrated into powder when they when they did that. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. Okay. Or they went flying off somewhere and were never seen again. You could <laughs> you could go up to the wall and take a picture and you would see. Okay, here's where the thing went through. Here's where the wings crumpled up against the wall, and look at the mess it made on the wall in the shape of wings. Right, exactly. You know, so, because there was fuselage around, and there was, you know, uh, pieces of metal hanging around and everything else that they showed. Uh, it's interesting, because some people will say that, you know, he, this, um, the Boeing 747, the jet propulsion part of it, has bolts that go a certain way and, and are put together a certain way and that the, the wreckage that they use don't actually fit with the schematics of the 747. But that's just that's neither here nor there. I'm just taking it from a very, very simple perspective, right? If, if the thing hit and the only thing that actually went through was the main body of the plane, I think it would be pretty obvious where the wings should have hit and that there would be some sort of scraping and scratching because if you're going 500 miles an hour, it's going to leave some sort of impact, right? And all you got to do is take a picture of that and put it up, and there it is. Like, yeah, like the wings just didn't go through the walls. Everything else did, right? Sure. And I and I find it hard to believe that that the uh, body of a plane could go through the wall and the wings not go at least partway through the wall. Yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't make uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me either. Yeah, so I mean, these just seem to be simple questions, and maybe in the 9/11 Commission's report, uh, they were all answered, and and uh, and we're just haven't haven't got full information. But uh, it seems to me that that there's a lot of common sense things that just don't make up um, a lot of sense. They're, don't make you know they just we're not getting the whole picture because and and there's it just seems like obvious questions aren't being answered because, of course, if you tried to answer them, maybe you can't because it wasn't what they said it was, right? Which, of course, is part of what us conspiracy theorists think. <laughs> yeah. Why well, is this... Uh, I just find the whole thing... You know, you go on the web or whatever and you're looking around at different, you know, the different 9-11 conspiracies and, you know, you've got all the ones that think it's a big hoax and then you've got all the people that are trying to prove that, yeah, the official government version is is right on the money. And I, I kept coming across the same things over and over again. Like, you know, there's all these guys that say the towers came down from controlled demolitions as opposed to the plane, the the impact from the planes and the jet fuel melting the the structural supports and the, the top of the building you know, collapsing in on itself and the weight of that bringing it down level by level. And, uh, you know, like the same thing with the, the Pentagon getting hit by, you know, by a missile. It looks like a missile impact, and we all know how fortified, you know, the Pentagon is in, is anyway. And to think that the entire plane just totally disintegrated and there's no no pieces, parts, wreckage, or debris to be found anywhere, I think that's highly unusual. Yeah. Um, you got there are the, pictures, by the way, Mark, that show some pieces of debris around oh, really? the Pentagon. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's, yeah. But I think it's a... Change it, changes things up a little bit. Yeah. 
so but, uh, some, something hit it and there were some pieces of metal hanging around but um, well the video that I saw that was you know that shows the camera the security camera feed from the Pentagon yeah you know they for all of their technology that they have nowadays to be able to enhance facial you know, features for facial recognition software and zoom in on license plates and stuff like that. It didn't do a very convincing job of blowing that picture up and showing that, hey, yes, indeed, that looks like an airplane flying into it. You know, they they showed, they said, here's the video and there's the airplane, and I'm looking at it going, that just looks like a blob of, I can't even tell what the heck that is. You know, it's so going so fast, and, and the, you know, the quality of the picture is so poor. That it didn't convince, you know, I just thought it was ironic that they go, oh, and here's the plane crashing, and it didn't look, you know, it was anybody's guess what the heck it actually was. Right. So uh, one of the questions that keeps coming up is uh, how could somebody have put um, explosives into into uh, the World Trade Center without, you know, everybody knowing, and how could... Uh, any of this stuff be done if you know if in fact it was a controlled demolition? How could it have been done without anyone knowing? And we want to. Uh, I don't think we will be able to to answer that question this time, but we want to give you some thought on that because uh, uh, don't forget, in 1993 there was a bombing at the World Trade Center and it caused a lot of concern and, and there was lots of upgrades done after that. But uh, the North Tower. The American Airlines Flight 11 hit the north face of the North Tower between the floors 90, between floor 94 and 99. So these floors had been upgraded for fireproofing shortly before 9/11. Hmm. And this coincidence is amplified by the fact that one tenant occupied all five floors. So gotcha. Here you go. You got one tenant. It's kind of it's the world's largest insurance brokerage company, and they're upgrading that those floors for fireproofing. So if you had improved fireproofing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> how could you know? I mean, it just doesn't really make sense, right? So you know, you then, so now we have a case of a bunch of people working on the five floors that get smashed into. Right. Sure. Absolutely. So maybe they were putting fireproofing. Maybe they're putting bombs in. I mean, who knows, right? Right. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to tell you about this this company? Uh, okay. The president of the uh, of the co the company, uh, the insurance brokerage company, had a subsidiary called Marsh Real Estate Advisors. The president from eight. 82 to 2001, interesting that it was till then, was Craig Stapleton. He's the husband of George W. Bush's cousin, Dorothy. Okay. It's like, it's like, uh. like how do these coincidences keep, you know, he once co-owned the Texas Rangers with George W. Bush. <laughs> and um, he was a member of the board of a company called uh, Sendant, that was charged in 1989, 1998 with massive accounting fraud. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, so, here we, and, uh, so there's connections to the Bush family through, throughout this whole kind of thing. Um, now, um, one month after 9-11, Paul Brenner 
would become the CEO for a new division called Marsh Crisis. Interesting, the Yale graduate Brenner had been working to complete the national report on terrorism and prior to that had been managing director for Kissinger Associates. <laughs> so, you know, we're seeing the people that that uh, controlling this part of the World Trade Center all have strong connections with uh, with the establishment. It's not like it was, you know, one floor was a small accounting firm, another, you know, another floor had five offices, and there was, uh, you know, Subway's headquarters and and AT&T's headquarters. I mean, these were uh, these were all connected uh, with with the Bush government, and um, the South Tower. That's where United Airlines Flight 175 hit between the floors 78 and 83 in the east. Uh, southeast corner of the building. So Baseline Financial Services was located on floors 77 and 78, Fuji Bank on 79 to 82, and AON Corp on 83. Okay. Hmm. So Baseline was led by a very interesting individual named Joseph Kasputsky, who had a history of being connected to the highest levels of government as well as defense and intelligence industries. He worked from 72 to 77 for the U.S. Department of Commerce and of Defense. He was also Deputy Director of Nixon's White House Task Force that dealt with the Arab oil embargo of 73. And he was instrumental in creating the Department of Energy. So his connections to the DOE from 77 through at least 97 are interesting considering the DOE was developing thermite ignition devices as early as 83. Thermite is this material that burns very, very hot, and um, many people think that that was the material that was used to blow up the columns to cause the World Trade Center to come up with something called super thermite. National laboratories working with the DOE developed nanothermites in the late 90s. Nanothermites are explosive thermite mixtures where one or more reactants are present at the nanometer scale. They're also called superthermites due to the extraordinary large amount of energy released upon ignition. So the idea is, is that you would take this material and you could actually put it into paint and paint it onto the, uh, uh, the steel columns. Now, and when it dried, it would be uh, explosive, but it would require something to set off the explosive. Right? Sure. Does sure. it require the wires and like you know when you think of demolition you've got all these wires that usually you know survive the demolition and, and show what happens it's not what we're talking about we're just talking about get a little bit of fire on it or a spark or something and the thing just goes up right 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 so uh, so here we have a company who is on the floor that gets hit by the plane who has been instrumental and in working closely with uh, the Department of Energy and Department of Defense on things like nan- thermite, which uh, and nanothermites, which are, could possibly have been what uh, blew up the steel girders. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't be you know it wouldn't be hard to have a painting crew come in. I mean, I'm sure they repainting offices and new carpet and stuff like that all the time. Well, and you know, you just pull open a wall and you say to the painters, paint these girders because we really want to, you know, we want to protect them from uh, whatever you want to protect them from, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. They could have mixed the stuff in, you know, with the new fireproofing measures that they were taking to upgrade oh, yeah, the building. They could have just mixed it right on in. This is fireproofing we're putting on. Right. 
Wow, how ironic. That would be, huh? Now, the tenant above baseline on floors 79 to 82, Fuji Bank, modified the core of floor 78 in 1998. The east wall of floor 80 in 1999, unknown parts of floor 80 in 2001, and the southeast corner of floor 82 in 1997. So, um, you, you know, so here you have, you know, people working and doing something. And, oh yeah. And, and some of us can assume it's good things. Some of us can assume it's bad things, right? Uh, on those floors. So if you wanted to say, well, you know, how could somebody go in and do all of this stuff? Well, hey, it's easy. You just say we're upgrading, we're doing this, we're doing that, and away you go. Absolutely. Now, there's lots of reports of, you know, construction work and stuff going on in both towers, you know, pretty regularly, actually. You know, I don't think, you know, it was uh, all that unusual to have, you know, crews in there, even even doing, you know, with jackhammers and stuff, probably doing floor, you know, restructuring the way floors are put together and uh, for, for the different room layouts that, that different tenants would, would require as they move in and out of the building. So it's it, you're right. It, uh, you know, it would be like hiding in plain sight. It wouldn't be that difficult at all. Yeah. So going up to floor 83 of the South Tower, that's where AON Corporation was. It's a Chicago-based competitor of Marsh. So it's interesting. That oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So there's still that connection. So uh, the most interesting person working at AON on 9-11 was Jim Pierce. Now, he's the cousin of George W. Bush. <laughs> And wow. his father, father, Scott Pierce, was formerly a partner of G.H. Walker & Co. They pled guilty to 2,000 counts of mail fraud in 1985 as president of E.F. Hutton. So, you know, these are not like small players, and they're not disconnected. So, and, and they all seem to be connected to Bush. Are, did, did all yeah. of these guys survive? I mean, these guys, the, the, the big players, were not present in the building when it happened, right? I'm assuming all these guys survived and... And I'm sure they all got handsome insurance policy payouts, you know, from all of this probably. And well, it's interesting you ask that question because Jim Pierce was managing director of AON, AON on 9/11. He had arranged a meeting on the 105th floor of the South Tower that morning. He survived that day, despite the fact that 12 people came to the meeting in the South Tower. 11 of them died. The location of the meeting had been changed the night before to the Millennium Hotel, where Pierce watched the South Tower as it was hit by the aircraft. Um, unfortunately, the meeting attendees were not all notified of the change in location. Jeez. So I don't know how, how uh, much smokier you can get a gun than that, right? Like, yeah, totally. have a meeting, it's on the 105th floor. Oh, no, let's go to the Millennium Hotel. A couple yeah, the night away. before they change it, and of course some of, there's a bunch of people that didn't get the memo. That's right. Uh, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't uh, doesn't jive for me. Yeah, it's uh, so just above uh, this area on floor 91 is an interesting company. It was the Washington Group International, and this company is known primarily as a construction and mining firm. Um, it had an interesting history. It had been a contractor of the Department of Energy and its predecessor agency since 1942 when it was involved in the Manhattan product in 1990, project. In 1995, a management shakeup at Washington resulted in a temporary installation of William Clark as acting chairman. 
William was a member of the Center for Security Policy along with many neocons including uh, 9-11 Commissioner John Lehman. After reorganizing the management at Washington just a few, in just a few months he resigned. And uh, in 1996 Washington took over Morrison Knudsen an engineering construction company that had a history of working on large projects around the world including in China, Iran, Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia. In Vietnam, Washington led the RMK-BRJ construction project with Brown and Root. During the 80s, he worked closely on hazardous cleanup projects for the DOA. The Army Corps of Engineers hired them to demolish over 200 buildings in 1995. So, uh, you know, the, this company was definitely, you know, knew a lot about uh, demolitions and, and all those sort of things. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. And so, and there's a connection back to uh, George. Uh, sick. Senior, yes, George Senior. So, okay, in '99, Washington acquired Westinghouse Government Enterprises Services Company, a firm that provided management services to the DOE and DOD. In July 2001, E. Preston Ray. Junior, the president of uh, this subsidiary, was promoted to executive vice president of business development for Washington Group's government operating unit. He went on to form a new company called Lawrence Livermore National Security along with General John A. Gordon. Now, Gordon was George H.W. Bush's senior director for defense policy on the National Security Council, and he worked with George Tennant at CIA from September 96 to October 97 as Associate Director of Central Intelligence for Military Support and as Director of the CIA from 97 to 2000. During this time he would have worked closely with uh, uh, a number of people and he was George W. Bush's Homeland Security Advisor. So, the, you know, this web just keeps... Uh, it's just uh, it's like a it's like a black widow, man. There's no right. It just keeps connecting, crisscrossing left and right, all over the place, huh? Yeah. So if a top-down demolition were implemented on the WCT's twin towers on 9/11, then it would have been necessary to plant explosives on floors below the impact zone. From a novice perspective, it would seem ideal to have planted such explosives at regular intervals below the impact area around floors, say 50 and 25 to 35. And videos show squibs emulating from these general areas on each tower at level space between the mechanical floors at uh, 41 and uh, 75. Hmm. So we've seen that Marsh occupied the impact zone of the North Tower and floors 47 to 54 of the South Tower. Additionally, uh, in a reflective crisscross pattern, Fuji Bank's parent company occupied the impact zone of the South Tower as well as floors 48 to 50 of the North Tower and Primark Corporation occupied parts of the impact zone of the South Tower and also a floor 11 of the North Tower. So you've got people that are occupying different spaces on different towers right where they need to be in order to make this demolition work. Yep. Uh, so we note that... Uh, to, so we're going to take a look at floors 25 to 35 of each tower because that would be kind of one area where you'd want to have some more uh, stuff going on. Big leases were signed 
with the World Trade Center involving AON, Marsh, and Bankers Trust and two other companies of interest, Exo Resources and Oppenheimer and Co. At the time, tenancy had gone way up and the complex was expected to be full capacity due to growth in the financial sector. So Exco Resources was an oil and gas holding company that was the parent for Garvin Intercapital, located on floor 25 and 26 of the North Tower, and also 55 of the South Tower, just above the Marsh subsidiary. Um, Members of the board uh, included Robert Stilwell, senior partner at Bush friend James Baker's uh, uh, company. Also, uh, directors and officers of Exco uh, were associated with Enron affiliates and... um, And also, they met with Dick Cheney in regards to his energy task force in early 2001. So, in general, oil and gas exploration companies use explosives to create underground, uh, underground to create shockwaves so that oil reserves can be found through seismic response. It's usually only about a 10% success rate for finding new productive fields. But these were the people that were occupying these crucial spots, right? So again, hey, you know, they go out in the field and they blow stuff up, no problem. And, uh, you know, they're experts at doing it. They've been doing it forever and ever. And they're at uh, key spots on the World Trade Center. Um, Very interesting. Everything you need, right? You know, all the key players right in the right places to uh, to make it all happen. Yeah. Huh. So uh, if we look at the companies that were occupying the impact zones of the World Trade Center and other floors that might have played a useful role in the demolition of the towers, we see connections to organizations that had access to explosive materials and to the expertise required to use explosives. Mining companies like Washington, Morrison, Knitson, uh, Okadi Construction, Special devices have access to many types of explosive materials. Oil and gas companies like those associated with Exco use explosives for exploration. Some of the explosive technology available to these companies, for example, Kamusu and Washington, involve thermite, a chemical mixture that has been identified in the WCTC dust and in the environmental data at ground zero. It seems that if certain management representatives of the tenant companies listed wanted to help bring the towers down, they would have been well suited to do so. They certainly would have been way better suited to do so than an accounting firm. Yeah. You know, or, uh, you know, a a Wall Street firm or a bank or, uh, you know, any of these other types of organizations that would have been in there. There is also strong connections to those who would have benefited from the attacks, most notably the Bush family and their corporate network, including Dresser Industries, now Halbertin, and UBS and to the Dish Bank and its subsidiaries. And uh, who are, by the way, the Dish Bank and its subsidiaries. Uh, were reported to have brokered the insider trading deals that we keep hearing about. Hmm. So, um, and then when you look at the security uh, issues that were going on at that time, uh, it just gets better. And, uh, you know, it's... uh, um, Access to explosives... Uh, you know, was pretty has been pretty well established. So when you want to look at now at it, the security-related organizations that would be best approached for considering, um, you know, how they fit in, and you you come up with all these security organizations, and they're all interconnected and everything else. 
uh, and it becomes obvious that uh, you know this is not a like I remember in one uh, National Geographic I guess the National Geographic I was watching they were talking about oh you need thousands and thousands and thousands of people and I'm like mm, not really and, and not only not really you could have people doing stuff I mean if you're a not painter, even their knowledge huh yeah I mean if you're a painter and someone tells you go paint that wall uh, <laughs> why, you know. Sure, I'll go paint the wall. I don't know that I'm putting huge explosives on it. I think I'm, you know, or you're doing whatever you're doing. You can get people, because it becomes so compartmentalized, you can get a lot of people doing work with absolutely no idea what they're doing. And even today, the people, you know, the people that put, if the, if it was thermite that was put up there, even those people today wouldn't necessarily know that that's what they did. Right? Exactly. Exactly. That's. I mean, it, it it's pretty genius. I, I think. You know, if you're going to pull it off, I mean, man, they definitely worked out a lot of details on the whole situation. But, well, uh, yeah, it's it's pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, yeah, and I just think, you know, to have those types of people in there with those types of connections, um, and then the fact that that guy has called a meeting for that morning changes it at the last minute uh, to some place that's I don't know how far away uh, just unbelievable yeah well I, you know it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting to me that uh, you know as good as they planned everything out they still left some open ends on like uh, like the black boxes we never found the black boxes ex- uh, for the planes or, or been able to recover you know there's they've been deemed uh, apparently, there's two of them that we never found, and then the other two we supposedly did find, but they were uh, they were beyond beyond salvage, I guess. And mm-hmm. and then, of course, all the wreckage, like you know, we talk about the explosives and thermite and all this kind of stuff. All of these questions would be able to be tested and and verified in the laboratory. Uh, you know, if they if they would just give us you know give the people access to uh, to the wreckage of the you know of the of the towers, and of course, you know immediately after they, you know after the things fall, they they get the crews out there to start cleaning things up, and and they end up taking all of the scrap and sending it, sending it off to China and to India to be recycled, you know back into the back into the world market or something. And I'm just I just am absolutely shocked that they you know I mean this is a crime scene. You know, it's not just like the hey, the plane crashed, and we need to investigate and figure out why it crashed. I mean, this is even more important than that, and it's a crime scene. And so, every single piece of that evidence should be somewhere right now where we can, you know, still go back and and look at it and test it and verify exactly what's going on here. And I think the fact that that's, you know, that there's no more evidence left to test, and they leave us to, you know, to try and figure all this stuff out based on computer models and things like that without it really knowing all the answers like you know I mean maybe the maybe the structures of the beams you know under certain conditions in this computer model will act a certain way but with new information that we have found through just basic investigation going through the rubble and trying to put together the pieces and recreate what happened you know who knows what we would have found and what we would have learned that would have altered these computer models that seem to uh, make everything work out so perfectly for the for the government in this. Right. So I, you know, I just, I don't know what to think. I, You know, I watched that Jesse Ventura show where he talks about 9-11. And he's, 
saying that the black box is the reason that they don't want it, want these to be found, and there is because that they literally knew before the planes even took off that there were hijackers on the plane. Right. And you know, or or who knows? We don't really know. There's it's only speculation as what could be on the on the black boxes. But you know, I was watching the when I was watching the thing this last weekend, and they're you know they're talking about the the story of Flight 93. And I'm going, you know, I'm sitting there watching the story and going, man, I sure would have loved to hear the black box, you know, the what was going on inside the cockpit when they took that son of a bitch over. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if they, if in fact that they did that, I mean, I would love, I, I think that nothing would be more patriotic than to release the tapes of of these heroes crashing through the cockpit and taking these guys out. Right. Like, right. well, I mean, I, so I, I can't, I just, I, I find it very, very hard to believe that they cannot find these boxes when, you know, I mean, they they always find the black box. Like, that's what it's designed for is to survive a plane crash and fire and extreme temperatures and underwater and and all the rest. It's That's exactly what it's designed for. And for four out of four to be, you know, unrecoverable, I think that's, those are just astronomical statistics. Yeah, uh, it really is. Oh, yeah, even if the... You know, even if the planes did cause the towers to collapse, and even if, you know, the, the, the a plane actually did hit the Pentagon, and and Building Number Seven did co- you know, did fall down due to debris from the other towers and small fires that nobody could put out, or, you know, even if everything else is true, I still think that shipping off all the wreckage and the evidence, and then not being able to produce the black boxes, those two things for me just. You know, I, I don't. You know, I got it. That makes me ask all the other. You know, I ask all the other questions from a different perspective and go, well, I know what you guys are saying with what you know that hey, the towers couldn't have come down this way or building number seven couldn't have happened that way. But without the hard data evidence of uh, of the you know the the raw materials to support this, I it's all it's all speculation and and reports and memos and and bullshit to my <laughs> in my honest opinion I just I, it's ridiculous yeah it certainly is so we're going to uh, wrap it up now Mark and uh, we've gone a little longer than we normally go but I think that it was certainly well worth the time and the effort and the energy and we're going to have some links up at uh, our website secrettruths.com and uh, secret and in truth uh, with one T like no not Secret tea, truth tea. <laughs> it's our own special little code for everybody. That's right, insiders and only. That's right. Let you take a look at some of these articles that we were uh, talking about, and and maybe get a a link up to the National Ge- Geographic page so people can uh, see those uh, 9/11 shows for themselves, and and ask yourself, you know, is this uh, is this a little state propaganda being put out, or is this uh, you know balanced reporting, or Maybe I'm just being overly sensitive to uh, what I thought they were, what, they, uh, what I thought they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, check it, check it out. Let us know what you think. Send us your uh, your feedback and your comments, and and uh, we look forward to uh, talking with you again next week. That's right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you soon. Bye bye. Bye bye.